Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction audiobook series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Today's story, Hunter's Moon. The rich, spicy aroma of a Kona and Karsu cough tea blend filled the small office. Willowy Station was rather known for its cough tea. It was nice to indulge, even if it was from a vending machine. A small, simple box of muted colors and comfortable, if utilitarian, furnishings and amenities, the office had a distinctly clean, professional air. Its walls were chromatically adjustable, just like the lighting, and Drayvon had changed them to a soft shade of plum with slightly shadowed corners. She liked it that way, and he knew it. This part of the process was tedious and exacting, and Ebony needed some level of comfort while dealing with all the legal particulars. Back when the job had first come up, She had used a new, but not too new, that can cause problems of its own, AI accounting-slash-solicitor program to go over all the contract and form requirements. There wasn't any need to read it now, therefore. Indeed, it would have been impossible in the time frame required. She had to be sure she was signing, initialing, and providing DNA samples, just a quick breath into an ident device on the table, for each digital form, each certified document. There were over 400 of them to get through, but steady work would ensure a conclusion by early third shift. I don't like this, Drayvon offered, a lip wrinkled in distaste at his cough tea. It's weird. Coffee or tea? Pick one. I've had worse. UH has cafeterias in all their branches, he said. I'll track down the one for this place. Do you want something? No, I'm fine, she replied without looking up. Go ahead. I'll bet you didn't eat. It took all night to hammer out the broad strokes, he admitted, nodding. That tanker jock looks twitchy, by the way. Sure you want to use him? Dre, we need to get through all this. Let's talk about it later. I'm just saying. Please, she insisted, finally offering him a sharp hazel glance. Let's get paid for the last job before fretting over the next. He raised his large hands in acquiescence. Right. I'll get a sandwich or something. Okay. Try not to be long. She glanced at the small, locked hard case that sat on the table under the floating hollow display of forms and itemized expense declarations. The tall man nodded. Of course. Back in ten. He waved open the sliding door and left. 
That door was deceptive, actually. Thin, silent, and seemingly made of dark faux wood, it was really a fully functioning pressure hatch and had a blast-resistant rating, in case of unforeseen circumstances. Deep space didn't have to mean a lack of style, if you had the money. United Humanity was the registered negotiation service for this job. They took their fee upon completion, supplied by the client. This two saints company would have had to put all payments, tariffs, and compensations into escrow before the job had even begun. Once the paperwork, so to speak, was all completed, things could be settled up, and not before. That was an alliance statute and regardless of the relative legal standing of the actual operations, seeing to administrative details is what kept them licensed and in business. She and Drayvon, as owner-operators, were the only two full-time employees of Diamond Hard Security, ILLC. Everyone else on this job, like every other job, had been contracted temps, They'd already been paid through Diamond Heart accounts and given promised bonuses and employment ratings. To her knowledge, not a single one of them was even still on the station. Those that survived, anyway. And all had had the balance of their individual fees or death bonuses paid out in the precise manners outlined in their contracts. It was another bureaucratic detail, another aspect of the law. She had started on it before they'd even returned to Willowy. Working with Hierons added to the end-of-contract process with UH since evaluating reports had to be filled out for each of them, dead or alive. It kept ongoing costs and other, even more complicated elements of bureaucracy to a minimum. It kept their operational capabilities flexible and profit margins comfortable. And it kept work-for-hire personnel insulated from company assets and long-term plans. She finished appending the required employee evals, then turned her attention to a big section for finance and banking details. She still had her AI on remote standby and ordered it to fill in the forms. It did so in a blink, but, as usual, flagged a dozen or more entries that would need her attention. Not every possible option was covered in the commerce template she used for the program. Templates had to be updated with each job as laws, policies, and formatting particulars evolved throughout the galaxy. She had to fill those sections out by hand, therefore, which is where much of the time, on this end of the mission, always went, down bureaucratic rabbit holes. UH, as negotiator between Diamond Hard and Two Saints, was here to help as much as possible. But they couldn't do it for her. That, too, was the law. It was her responsibility to see to this mundanity. Dre, on the other hand, was the coordinator. He did all the nuts and bolts hiring and firing. He found the contacts and contracts. He often led tactical operations on the ground. Hands and brains, as he liked to put it, though he was no idiot and she no shy wallflower. Drayvon could easily handle forms and contracts, and often did so if she were indisposed. In fact, he'd drafted all the employee evaluations that she'd just submitted. And, of course, Evany herself had been armored up and standing next to him throughout the operation. Partners in life once, 
now just partners in business. No, not just. The company was their dream, and they had both worked very hard to build its financial stability and reputation. They got the job done every time, whatever it was. That wasn't written as a guarantee in the contracts, but it had become their rep. In the private security special ops field, they were respected. In a professional landscape filled with burnt-out ex-soldiers, former or current pirates, brutes, sociopaths, and rah-rah types who got their fellows carelessly killed, Diamondhard was starting to stand out. They had enough offers coming in now that they could afford to be a bit picky. They could focus on delicate HRR operations, like the one two saints had approached them with. High risk and return. While she'd never heard of two saints before, that wasn't unusual in a galaxy filled with billions of tiny incorporated business endeavors. Supposedly rooted in shipping, the company could have been exactly what it appeared to be, or it could have been a front for just about anything else. While it was always bad work to work for bad people, and unlike all the other shady offers they were being increasingly inundated with, this one came with a UH rating of 1.0. That was the highest clearance and reputational classification United Humanity could bestow on a client, short of operations assembled on its own behalf, which always rated a zero. This meant that whatever Two Saints Diversified Holdings, ILLC, actually was, it had the trust of the most trusted negotiation service in settled space. An uncommon thing for a company less than a year old, according to standard background checks, and one which also had no personnel records publicly available. Yes, all that was unusual. A line of small metallic flowers popped open silently in the steel bulkhead above Litany's armored head. Armor that would have been as nothing to the polinium-tipped bullets spraying at her in the darkened companionway. The attack was from a suited team soldier down the corridor who had eased out from an open hatchway 12.5 meters ahead, according to her targeting HUD. She motioned to her elbowman, Peter Nymarg by name, to keep the figure covered and hiding. The man nodded, immediately letting loose a burst from his own weapon. Ev, these guys aren't budging, Drayvon called over Calm. He was forward with two others, hovering in an open archway that formed a vestibule before the ship's bridge. There was a distinctive flash from around the corner, and a discernible shudder in the deck. That huge woman they'd hired as heavy weapon spech, Sindin was her name, had leaned out in a ridiculously perilous manner from behind a strut of the arch of the vestibule. She'd let off a dazzling burst from her shoulder-mounted char pack. All three of Diamond Hard's people up there were so close to the point of impact across the hallway that if the gunship was still in Atmo, the air between would have plasmized from the shot and cooked them alive despite their suits. Heavy dub, hold your fire, she screamed. Got one, came the gin-engineered woman's quiet reply. She sounded amused. There's a side hatch up here, Drayvon put in over the channel. I think they're flanking, probably just crew. Team has frozen tack-ups on these ships, Ebony reminded him. We won't be dealing with regulars for very long. 
she ordered her suit system to open the helmet mic to an additional channel. Josefina, we're stuck near the bridge. We cannot retreat. We need options. Press forward, Unit 2. Zay Hunik, captain of that ship, ordered simply, calmly. We're paper targets over here, she insisted, and ducked again as the hatch guy took another pot shot. Peter fired back, then crossed to the opposite side of the companionway for a better angle. Make it to that armored door and we can win this, Josefina's gunner put in over the channel. Much of this was his plan, his doing. She barely knew the man, all things considered. That's a long way to go right now, Ejok, she snapped back, firing a burst of her own. Kells has formed a global police force, which sounds much more impressive than it is. A small branch of it covers the town, this Lake Werner place, as well as the surrounding communities. It's a big area, and they're overextended, so response times are slow, even by robotic assets. In addition, the facility has its own security, which is also understaffed. Your on-planet contact will have this information in detail, including an advanced surveillance breakdown assembled over the past several months. The sandy-haired woman, with skin tone and clothing to match, an odd stylistic choice since it made her seem like something solid and synthetic, formed in a factory, manipulated a Tri-D image over the table. It showed a sprawling data center set within a pastoral-looking countryside on a planet called Ochre Kells. This was a terraformed world in the Kyunsu star system, deep in corporate space. Ms. Fernando Juan, Evany began, but the woman gestured dismissively, brown eyes sparkling. Please, call me Roa if you're comfortable with informalities. I am. Call me Evany. Um, Drayvon her partner added when the UH negotiator looked his way. He sat at the table and was just laying out Evany's stuff from her office bag. This included a set of display glasses, a data pad, and a plastic box containing various documents on small data blocks. He stood for a moment and shook the UH representative's hand. When they'd entered the room, Roa had launched into her presentation immediately. She'd met them in the building's large foyer when they arrived back in first shift after they'd checked in at reception. That part alone took time since everyone upon UH property was scanned for weapons and had idents verified. This was, after all, a safe place where no one and nothing could offer unpleasant surprises. Bustling along in a perky manner, Roa had escorted them directly to this room explaining United Humanity's latest SOP updates the whole way. Ev and her second had to play awkward catch-up. Now the woman seemed to be backtracking to the niceties. Her manner was odd and disjointed, like she was new at this. Ebony doubted very much that was the case. Likely, every single aspect of this meeting had been carefully planned with Two Saints' diversified holdings, the initiating client that had hired United Humanity to vet a special ops security service of the IC's choosing, and then help secure and negotiate the terms of a mission with them. Often, the IC put forward an employee of their own for this last portion of the process, but UH was providing that service too, doubtlessly for an extra fee. 
So the objective here is data retrieval, Ebony. Pure and simple. Certain assets are already in place, but the IC insists that you have final say in all operational details, save where they're bound by the timeline specified. This job should be completely straightforward. Anything? Drayvon lingered over something he was watching on his display lenses, then shook his head. So far, so good. None of my news and security bulletin sources mention anything about this particular job. I still have a few friends in Fleet who might have something. I can make inquiries, but that'll send up red flags. No, don't. We need to be ghosts in this. Ev had not looked away from the event timeline report she was filling out. It was probably the single most important document in the bunch, since it was used as the basis for determining Diamond Hard's tax rate, possible liability, and as a point of entry for any follow-up investigations should they ever become necessary. Her approach was mostly cut and paste from careful notes, but some details needed updating, clarification, or cross-form referencing. It was poor practice to leave this part to an AI, which might miss small but vital details. You could introduce liability at this point alone, so attention was paramount. Is there something wrong? Just a feeling. Two Saints is weird. New company, but with a bulletproof rep. No FaceTime with anyone on the payroll. And that team response we enjoyed. She was frowning. Dre, have you ever seen anything that aggressive over a simple data grab? Myself? No. I've heard stories. There are always stories, she said, unsatisfied. And I think we heard one right here, before we started. The team guy peeking in and out of the hatch across the companionway was using his cover wisely, which was nothing short of infuriating. Ebony stayed low herself. There was lots of metal in the vac as each tried to change the other's situation. She had a hairline periscope from her helmet optics spying from the edge of a steel buttress, and it provided a clear image of the open door. A bullpup-style barrel came out, this time aiming further up the companionway. Visible tracer rounds flashed in Sindin's general direction, keeping her busy. "'If these guys are playing for time,' Drayvon called. "'They must have icicles on the way. We cannot deal with tack-ups out here.' "'On my mark!' Ebony announced over the squad channel. Everyone but Heavy Dub lay into the left-hand hatch. Sindon, you count to three, then lean way out and put ten bursts there with the char pack. Ten, you hear? Oh, I hear, the huge merc growled, satisfaction lacing her smoky baritone. Looks good to me, Drayvon remarked, studying Dumont Station a huge colony craft permanently sitting in Kell's L5 position. There was a lot of traffic out and about, but nothing edging near, and they weren't getting any alarms or notices from the shuttle's automated controls. Just another self-flying taxi, heading from the planet to the station for the weekend. One of thousands. Not a single hiccup, Sindon remarked casually, yet apparently impressed. She was reading a mushy romance novel from her data pad. Smoothest operation I've been on in years. That surveillance report was primo stuff. 
Even the notes about the guards' work habits was spot on. Dre didn't stop his scrutiny, even while he replied, Yeah, everything perfect. The others had been engrossed in their own little distractions, like Sindin, but he had on his serious tone and they all sat up. Well, except for young Freed Kohi, who was snoring in the back, face buried in the crook of his arm. Ebony touched Dravon's elbow and motioned for him to sit, darting her eyes at the others by way of explanation. Just a flick, but they knew each other well enough that it spoke volumes. You're making the group nervous. He glanced at their collective concern, then nodded once, sat down, and deliberately turned away from the shield glass porthole. Sindon seemed unconvinced. To Ebony, she asked, Our ride is ready to launch? We got confirmation from their flight deck one hour ago, she told the woman, tapping at the data watch on her wrist. And the station flight schedule has been updated. A daydream of Josefina began prepping as soon as they got my thumbs up back on the surface. We'll take the dockside tram to their berth as soon as we're aboard station. We aren't going through customs or entering Dumont proper. They were still two hours away from any such link-up, so the big woman nodded and returned to her book. Dre's tension was infectious, but this was a professional crew, battle-hardened and capable of forced calm when required. Besides, they really had gotten away clean. Or, so it seemed, for the next forty minutes. Then a rattling alarm blared from the robotic shuttle's display panel. Red and blue lights on both sides of the readout were flashing, and a mechanical voice announced, Attention, attention, attention. This shuttle has been flagged by orbital control for inspection. It will be diverted to Dock 7, where team security units will escort all passengers to interview rooms. Connecting flights, if applicable, are being informed of the delay. Your cooperation is appreciated. Every effort will be made to minimize the disruption of passenger schedules. Dumont Station Management apologizes for any inconvenience. It began repeating, but Ebony reached forward and hit mute. Everyone was alert, watching her. Even Freed was awake now. Here's our escort, Dre announced evenly, lifting a chin at the same porthole. Matching vectors with their automated shuttle was an equally automated drone craft, seemingly right outside. Though it was smaller than the shuttle, it was painted bright yellow and black and bore drooping antennae and sensor stalks below. It looked like a giant wasp. Similar to a professional racing vehicle, it had the logos of sponsors and investors plastered all over it, for the management company governing Kyunsu system and for orbital control. It was how things were done here. There was a badge for corporate space itself, another for team, a large one for Dumont Station, and the instantly recognizable trademarked logo of the International Route Management Authority. There was also the barrel of a plasma pulse gun just then extending from a shell-like prominence in the center of the thing. That was a relatively low-powered weapon, strictly designed for close-in use against unarmored targets, both of which they were right now. Fight? Sindon asked, putting away her data pad. With what? Freed observed. 
Our gear is all stored below. We can't even reach it from here. Figure out a way and put me in front. I'll get us through, the heavy weapons specialist assured with a dangerous smile. An armed escort means they're not unsure about us, Drayvon concluded. His eyes flicked down to the hard case Ev had brought aboard as a carry-on bag. They'll be ready for trouble when we dock. He looked up at his partner. They all did. She was about to say something that was more reassuring than she felt when there was a flash of light outside the porthole, followed by a quiet rattling like metallic rain on the hull. One prominent thump shook the shuttle a moment later. Corrective thruster jets flared on all sides, returning their tiny vessel to its proper course. Everyone tried to have a look, but Dre spoke first while peering outside. The drone's gone. There was a moment of confused silence before the display panel spoke up again, this time with the voice of an older man who had a sharp, serious tone. Attention shuttle, this is Captain Zay Hunik of A Daydream of Josefina. We're undocking as I speak. Get ready for an in-flight pickup. We have to move fast. You'll be getting more attention from the locals. We both will. Ebony leaned forward and touched the display to respond. Josefina, acknowledged and thank you. We'll be ready. That was a close hit, by the way. Another voice broke in then. It was a different man, who spoke quickly. Gunnery here. Intervening traffic makes your taxi difficult to target for station DEWs or other line-of-sight weapons, but that drone was fairly close. I launched a dart when it started matching your vector. Took a few minutes to get there. Sorry. No one over here is complaining, she assured him with relief. They worked silently for quite a while. The two of them were able to do that, had always been able to. They weren't now what they once were to each other, but things were still comfortable. They'd started as business partners, evolved that relationship into a personal one, and then evolved it further into what it currently was. Two friends facing the galaxy side by side. Ebony wasn't involved with anyone now, though she used a quality escort service on a semi-regular basis. Drayvon was dating some guy who worked at a hospital over on Styrian Waypoint Station. They met after a mission two years before, when Dray had needed some patching up. Diamond hard business kept the two of them apart most of the time, so it wasn't very serious. The ever-busy, always-ugly Styrian Waypoint was Drayvon's official residence now, though, so it wasn't very casual either. This musing made her lose track of the itemized list of deductible expenses Diamond Hard would submit with the report. Her cough tea was long gone, and she needed a break. I'm going for a sandwich. Did you find that cafeteria? Drayvon didn't look up from his news and data mining, but hooked a thumb in a vague direction behind him. Yeah, there's an automat back that way, down the slidewalk. Nothing special, but it seemed fresh. Grab me a soup or something, whatever looks good. She nodded and started to the door when her partner raised a hand, his eyes having landed on something in the holographic display. You said to focus on industrial espionage, right? Yeah, missing data specifically. 
What is it? She came up to look, but he'd become a speed reader after having his eyes replaced with cybernetics a few years back. The display scrolled confusingly fast. Team Security Dispatch. Looks like a follow-up report or response for clarification from some other branch of the Montero Group. It was issued separately from some larger inquiry, but didn't inherit the original report's security settings. There was probably a mistake. It went out over an open data channel. Concerns us? The listed location, date, and time all correspond to the operation. I'm thinking yes. Anything about that? she asked, nodding at the locked hard case on the table. It was small and dark. Unassuming, really, like an overnight bag. But this one sported a few special elements and would be very hard to force open without destroying its contents. There's an hysterical quality to the writing, and it does refer to a data breach. Uses the words catastrophic and total loss. No mention of which department, but look at this. He stopped the rolling text, highlighted a particular line and expanded the font size so she could read without leaning in. Truncated funnel enhancements in high-gravity stellar environments, she read aloud, eyes going wide. My, my, that certainly explains why it played out like it did. You think so? Drayvon questioned. This tech isn't secret anymore. Hasn't been for years. Its existence isn't, she countered. But only certain governments have any nuts-and-bolts details. She studied the hard case thoughtfully. I guess that's about to change. Heavy Dub wore a grin of pure, thrilling joy on her broad, genetically altered face. Ebony could see it through the woman's helmet bubble. In the dim companionway, the strobe effect of her char-pack's energy flashes gave everything a surreal, slow-motion quality. Both Ebony Squad and the team crew members moved in a stark, herky-jerky style. All units to the bridge hatch! Heavy dub! Give them enough time to get there! The HW Spech was counting aloud, focused on putting those ten bursts of energized particles through the hatchway held by the team crew members of Deep Pockets. She didn't respond, except to step out into the companionway so the others could scramble into the open space behind. A large, armored iris valve was closed up tight at the end of the small space, a space now crowded with mercenaries. No, not all of them were her people. Some were team. Where did they come from? There was a metal door in the side of the vestibule, possibly for some sort of supply room or connecting corridor, and it was open. They'd been flanked. A half-dozen soldiers in thin emergency pressure suits had been about to ambush Heavy Dub from behind when the vestibule filled with the rest of her people. There were brief flashes of slug throwers and ineffectual stunners, some pointed high, some low, as the two groups grappled in the tight space. One of the ship's crew hadn't even gotten through the side doorway before being dropped. Sindon was still covering the hatch on the other side of the companionway, letting off an occasional burst that punched melty holes in the metal of the bulkhead, keeping anyone still alive over there back from the doorway. Behind her, the fight raged on. Curses and grunts came over calm. 
People fought hand-to-hand, desperately, savagely. Another of the ship's crew fell backwards, this one pawing at a hole in his suit, redness rushing out, foaming up and vaporizing in the vacuum. Ebony had been last to arrive and was behind them all. She was looking for a clear shot when someone tackled her from the side. She went down among the roiling feet and arms while a handgun went off repeatedly in her torso. Whatever it was, the small weapon wasn't meant for armor like hers. She could feel the shots hammering her stomach like fast jabs. They hurt, but didn't penetrate. The young man maintained a panicked hold, his gun between them. Blue, terrified eyes were visible behind the faceplate, and because he had her own weapon arm pinned, she couldn't fire back. Instead, she battered at his faceplate with her own. Slam! Slam! Head against head, repeatedly. It wouldn't damage his visor or helmet, but it was violent and disorienting. The soldier shifted instinctively to avoid her mad attack, and she swept her offhand up between them. She found his pistol and pushed his thumb up and away with her own. She slipped fingers in and twisted her opponent's hand aside as she had been trained to do in countless close-in defense classes. In less time than it took to register, she'd taken the weapon from his hand. Too surprised to respond, the man let Ebony slip from under his arm. She sat up, hefting her own stubby automatic rifle in one hand and the young man's pistol in the other. It was a strange thing, with a flat barrel made of dark gray plastic. Likely an energy weapon of some sort, she was puzzled by it. She ordered her suit AI to connect comms to the crewman's radio. My gun doesn't have a stun setting. Does yours? The young man shook his head no. Bright, round eyes locked on hers. They sparkled sapphire in the light of Heavy Dub's pot shots, who was at way more than ten now. Then it's a bad day for you, she stated, and pointed her rifle at his faceplate. Ladies, gents, and gendens, may I have your attention, Captain Hunick announced over ship's intercom. His manner of public speaking, if this counted as such, was clipped, almost reluctant, as if he disliked talking in general. His manner, in person, once Ebony and her people had come aboard and gotten settled in, had turned out to be very similar. Welcome to Star System 81845W. Don't get excited. Don't bother looking around. We're not staying. There wasn't time to replot our target jump from Kyonsu, so this is still the same first stop on the route we registered back there. It'll be at least a couple hours to calculate a new one that will return us to Ain space in what we hope will be a direction team wasn't expecting. The longer we are here, the more time they have to assemble a posse. Be prepared for star jump at 0400 hours, green clock. That is all. Ebony had been asleep in her hammock, slung from a couple restraining rings in the small ship's smaller cargo hold. It was a glorified closet, but soon after their hasty boarding, she'd carefully removed all the supplies that had been tossed haphazardly within. She lined them up along the bulkhead in the companionway outside, then organized and labeled everything. 
It made walking out there a bit tight, but she had a thing about sleeping in the open when aboard strange ships or stations. Planet side, it never seemed to matter, but while on Josefina, she was going to have a cabin with a lockable hatch, whether anyone liked it or not. She and Drayvon were the only waking passengers from Diamond Hard, the rest of her people having gone into cold passage via the freeze tubes on the deck above. This saved on resources, such as food, water, and air, and prevented some genuinely dangerous people from sitting around getting bored. Among Josefina's crew, Ejok the gunner turned out to be a short, older man with dark, inquisitive eyes. He had gray hair fringing a bald, olive pate, along with some ragged chin whiskers. Apparently, he was pulling light stewarding duties on top of manning the guns. On a ship like this, that made him in charge of supplies, and he'd sauntered by while she was moving things about. Ev cast him a glare that challenged any complaint, but he just thanked her for getting the stuff organized, claiming he hadn't yet had the chance. He even went so far as to offer a hand in moving it out, but she declined with a tight smile. That had been over a week before, a week of running and of fear. Two days out to the jump point, and all the while, team officials, RMA, and orbital control were ordering them to stop. This operation had been timed to occur while no military vessels were present in Kyonsu system, a small but significant detail that someone, presumably at Two Saints, had made a point of including in the plan's requirements. Their window of opportunity had been narrow. If the operation had been mounted either a week before or after, they'd have all been killed in the attempt. The energy weapons available to Kyunsu authorities should have been able to track and hit them while underway, and a few tried, coming close. The farther off the ship went, though, the worse was their aim. Not even the ones mounted on Dumont Station were able to target correctly after a time. That, too, seemed like a detail handled in advance of the mission. Nonetheless, Ejok had been forced to shoot down over a dozen missiles from almost as many different sources. One of those had been a big, armored military thing that had surprised him by throwing out radiological readings. He'd tried picking it off at a distance with the small ship's twin-frame charged particle cannons, but to no avail. Then he dropped some bursting flak in the way, which it plowed through like evening fog. Finally, in desperation, he launched a brace of missiles which, two minutes after being deployed, had caused Josefina's external sensors to overload and reset. The incoming threat was in rapidly scattering pieces after that. When asked later, he wouldn't tell her what kind of ordnance he'd been using, except to say that it was expensive and now in short supply. Once out of Kyunsu's gravity well, they entered Star Jump. Thereafter, they were safe from enemies and could not even be directly tracked. A daydream of Josefina was literally in its own tiny artificial universe. They popped out of existence at the edge of one star system and popped back in at the rim of another light years away. Not even a heartbeat of time had passed for the real universe between those events, but Josefina and her passengers had experienced several days of welcome downtime. 
it was a chance to catch their collective breath, and for Evany, at least, to get a head start on the eventual paperwork. She wasn't likely to fall back asleep now, so she rolled out and made her way to the single fresher aboard. There was often a line to get in, and someone had even cobbled together a narrow bench from pieces of packing crates and other detritus. A woman she only knew as Sable, who had neon yellow hair that actually glowed, though was currently pulled back into pigtails, was sitting there reading from a data pad. There was a folded towel and dop kit on the bench, which she moved to her lap to make room. She was the cold passage specialist aboard and had gone over Josefina's protocols for freezing people down with both Drayvon and Evany when they'd first come aboard. The woman spoke competently, answering all the questions Diamond Hard put to her about the health and safety of its employees. They hadn't spoken since. I'm just showering, she muttered as Ev took a seat. If it's urgent, you can go next. On military ships, showers are separate facilities. The woman glanced up. Is it urgent? I can wait. She nodded and returned to her reading. No small talk, then. Obviously, Sable was experienced with mercenary work and knew the drill. You don't make friends or enemies of your colleagues. You do your job. You get paid. Nothing more, nothing less. This was a small operation, all things considered. Yet Diamond Hard's standard rates and fees had been met without undue haggling. Every person she'd met on the mission was exceptional at their job. Clearly, the pre-planning and supportive tactical operations, such as the sabotaging of Kyunsu's DEW targeting systems, to say nothing of the inclusion of such high-quality personnel, were where the budget for this thing had gone. One minute later, there was a slight shudder in the ship's frame that she'd come to recognize as missiles launching. A deep horn sounded throughout the companionways. Ebony was familiar with that, too, from when they were running for the jump point, fending off attacks. Both she and Sable were in motion immediately, running in opposite directions. Behind her, the door to the fresher opened, its occupant dashing out half-naked to somewhere else. The assigned emergency location for Diamond Hard Security's waking passengers was forward, in the common room. They were to strap themselves into acceleration couches and stay out of the way. All hands, action stations, Captain Hunnick cried over the horn. Three team vessels just star-jumped in. Drayvon looked at the intercepted team memo for a long time, turning his head this way and that. If this really is all about free-jump technology, then we're looking at someone in the private sector. I mean, Alliance Fleet and Corporate Space Team have both publicly admitted that they have this tech under development, that they have had it for some time, and rumor is that old Emperor What's-His-Face over the border does too for his personal security forces. If that's true, how long before Church Space is flying free jump ships? Evany asked rhetorically. Last year, maybe? He questioned idly. I mean, Noble Space is riddled with spies. But my point is, this wasn't a black-budget operation arranged by some government spookhouse. It didn't feel commercial either, 
she countered. Think about it, Dre. Some interstellar corporation would have sent in ten squads like ours and micromanaged every single detail. If we had gotten the contract at all, it would have been as part of a much bigger operation, under command of some head of company security. Within scheduling requirements, two saints let us form the action plan ourselves. Her partner nodded, agreeing. Things went sideways there for a while, but not for any lack of skill. Our people were the best because we picked them ourselves, and the client picked us because we're the best. Ebony smirked in mock humility, but Dre wasn't joking. He did clarify, though. Okay, the best for our operational size, but two saints chose Josefina and its crew for the same reason. The most professional I've seen, and I've seen my share. A small company on a strict budget, she concluded, but a smart one, well informed. Two saints sells free jump tech to the highest bidder, then? Companies and private investors all over space have been itching for this, she said, patting the hard case. Selling it might be dangerous, but the payout would be like, well, I don't even know. Worth the effort, I assume. What do you want to do? her partner asked without missing a beat. If this is what we think it is, it's the biggest potential score of our lives. We can say to heck with the contract and walk out the door without giving them anything. Let them try to sue us. And if it's not, we ruin our rep. We get sued for breach of contract. He nodded in agreement, waiting for her decision. They were partners, 50-50, but for the really big decisions, Ebony was boss, and he was happy for it. She studied the hard case for a bit, tapping it again restlessly. Is Skigo Bax still in business? He used to work out of Willowy, didn't he? Last I heard, Territorial Customs came sniffing around its operation, so he joined a legit data analysis firm, economic forecasts or something. I don't know if he still freelances, but I can ask. Call him, she agreed, and say we'll pay for expeditious service. Still straddling the young team crewman, the two weapons unwavering in her hands, Ebony studied the armored iris valve in the vestibule. Josefina, she called overcome. We're outside the bridge, but they might have woken up tactical operations specialists. There's no holding this position. Breaching charges on the door, came the captain's firm voice over her helmet radio. Set them off in waves, as planned. They're not enough. It's calamite alloy. We need special tools or bigger explosives. The bridge crew doesn't know that, the officer replied. All we can do is make a lot of noise in there. That's all you need to do, Ejok injected over the channel. It's a green pack, Ejok argued. Otherwise, we'd already be dead. A hologram of the current situational status, or S2, floated in the air before them. It showed three tiny points in red, clustered near each other on the edge of 81845W. Deeper in, slightly closer to the system's primary, was a turquoise blip that represented a daydream of Josefina. Lace-like, diaphanous scarves of energized particles, just a few of the many thousands that wafted out from the volatile star, bathed the area of space around their dot. 
filling nearly the entire map, were slowly moving pinpoints of light, as well as some slightly larger ones. Their blue dot hovered behind one of the latter within the undulating ejecta of the solar flare. Surrounding everything was a vaguely disc-shaped cloud of glowing haze. This was the map's representation of the accretion disk. Dust, rock, gas, and pebble-sized asteroidal material orbiting the star, most of which was locked into death spirals and a date with the local furnace. There were no large planetary bodies, no gas giants, no ice balls of size, no rocky planetoids bigger than the one they were using now. This was a young star, just waking up to the galaxy and still wearing its filmy nightgown. We have no way of knowing about the relative experience of the commanders of those ships, the captain repeated. He wasn't angry at the gunner's stubbornness in the face of a complete lack of evidence, but neither was he convinced. Their behavior tells us what we need to know. They couldn't have done much about our energy attacks, but they had five whole seconds before my first dart hit. An experienced team will always have automatic defenses in place when jumping into a potentially hostile location. Mine were, along with some standby settings. That's how we crippled one of those gunships. People can't always assess and react quickly enough in a crisis, so automated fire control with action criteria updating all the time is essential. But come on! Five seconds? That's an eon in gunnery terms! No civvy system needs that much time, so you can bet military ones don't. They either didn't have auto defenses online, or they were using bad threat lists. Both speak to inexperience. Crippled is a bit of an exaggeration, Captain Hoonick observed, though without any sarcasm. He was a pro on a ship full of them. It's essentially undamaged except for a single external star jump emitter. Granted, that anchors them to this star system, but they weren't going to leave anyway, not once they saw us. Plus, they're sure to have the expertise to make repairs, given time. I'm inclined to agree with Ejok, Evany put in. Though she was just a passenger at this stage of the operation, they had asked her to the meeting, hoping for a different point of view. Whatever their command issues were over there, what's the ship's transponder say? Deep pockets? Even if this Deep Pockets was slow to respond upon arrival for unknown reasons, what about the other two ships? We were still within the attack range of that fighter ship they brought along. Why didn't it counter, or even approach? They were caught by surprise, as a unit. The pack commander was shocked and didn't know what to do, so gave the order to close ranks. That's newbie behavior. Let's say that's true, the captain pressed. That was then. Why are they holding off? We've apparently lost them, yet they haven't moved in system for a closer look. The Merc studied the map, squinting her eyes as she tried to picture a youthful team commander on their first major assignment. Maybe someone pressed into this mission in the face of urgency, well ahead of any earned advancement. I think they're afraid, she stated. From the pack leader's point of view, we were waiting in ambush. We knew that they were coming somehow. Then we just up and vanished. We're ghosts. No, make that goblins, because we bite. They're maintaining formation in case we come sniffing round again. 
There have been no graviton exit cones, so they haven't sent for help. Why is that? Because, until such help arrives, any fight will be just two against one, and they're not comfortable with those odds. The commander is overestimating us. Captain Hunick shrugged, surrendering the point. How long do we wait? Wait? Ejak echoed. For what? For him to get bored and leave? So long as it's sitting right there, scared or not, that hunter-killer pack owns the jump point. It's sifting through the pea soup of this star system with every sensor on all three ships. We might be masked for the moment, but the dark side of a protoplanet or moon or whatever rolling through the particulate fan of a solar flare is a precarious perch at best. Once they get a sensor lock, they'll track us looking for any opening. Both gunships are sporting military-grade braiding proton projectors. Take my word for it. They only need one clean shot. Josefina is outgunned and outclassed, but we have the edge in experience, Ebony summed up. Our collective skills, what we believe about theirs, the conditions outside, and this ship, that's what we have to work with. The captain held up a hand then, as he listened to something over his earbud communicator. His grave face betrayed nothing, but after a moment, he stood from the table. On my way, he answered, then to the others announced, Single entrance cone, deep in the well. One light second to empty spinwood from our present position. Ejok slapped the table in surprise and annoyance. The fighter? Yes, it's a free jump. Drayvon watched her without comment. He knew when she was brooding and always let her break the spell first. Which she did, after a time. I know we both have a vision for this company, Dray. I know where we are with it. I'm sorry? I'll be frank. I'm tired. I don't even know when it happened. And this has what to do with our present problem? He asked unable to follow. Do we even have a problem? We were hired to retrieve some data. It's sitting right here. We can turn it over and walk away clean. Is that your decision, or are you thinking about something else? Ev, are you saying you want out of the company? She looked at him, but he was wearing his mission-critical face, and she couldn't read it. I don't know. Honestly... You're not feeling it? This life, all the killing? Are we talking about me? He posed evenly. I thought this was your confession. Don't do that. I've earned more from you. He sighed and stood up, stepping away to the wall. It was as far as he could go without actually leaving. So it turned out a little rough. So what? You would let one bad job break up the company? Nine years we've been scraping to build a business to give the big outfits a run for their money. A privately owned special ops security service to compete with the multi-stellar conglomerates. It's never been done before, but we can do it. She chuckled without humor at Dre's earnest tone, which seemed to annoy him. You're talking like I don't care, she accused. You know that's not true. And don't say this comes as a surprise. We've been talking around the subject for years. Yes, we have, he admitted. You bring it up after every job. 
Okay. We've been working hard, I'll admit it. I'll call the tanker captain and take a pass on that next job. We have no one on retainer at the moment, no debts. Let's go on holiday. Why not? A few months off, a few years, it doesn't matter. Neither of us have especially expensive habits. So when we're ready, we come back refreshed, company assets intact. She was about to reply when his comm unit buzzed audibly. He slipped on a pair of dark viewer shades and took the call. Ebony watched him. His mask was rock-solid for several seconds, then his eyebrows shot up behind the glasses. Could you repeat that, please? Apparently, this request was granted because Dre shook his head in wonder, touching a virtual interface invisible to anyone else in the empty air in front of him. That's definitely new info. Your fee's been transferred. Any problems, let me know. Thank you, Skigo. Excellent work, as always. He closed the connection and looked at his partner. Two saints, she asked, and he nodded. There was no time to think. The very moment she pulled the trigger on the prostrate soldier, there was a click and whine of servos as an articulated mechanical arm swung out from a very well-hidden panel over the armored bridge hatch up near the overhead. A belt-fed, Gatling-style, heavy-bore autogun folded out in a deceptively slow manner. Ebony was also in motion. She grabbed at Sindon by a strap on the char pack, causing the next shot to go wild. The big woman slipped sideways, off balance. Autogun, take cover! Side door! Ev cried, diving for it. A burst of armor-piercing rounds silently shredded the corner of the vestibule where Heavy Dub had just been standing with her back to the robotic weapon. She didn't go for cover. She turned with the energy cannon raised, yet even with a natural disposition for combat and years of diligent training, she was only more or less human after all. The next burst from the robot was trained vertically. It opened up the armored pressure suit of the massive woman as well as her, as if they both had zippers. There was no scream or grunt or anything. Sindon faced the machine with adrenaline flowing, her well-honed senses as sharp as razors, her expertise at its absolute peak. And she died. The gun continued to track movement in the small antechamber, letting loose a cloud of metal. One of Ebony's people, her elbowman, Peter Nymarg, who just happened to be furthest away when the robot came to life, dropped with a gasp. Everyone else made it to the side hatch, into the tiny waiting room beyond from where the team soldiers had flanked them. The soldier who'd been part of that group, and who'd been shot before she had even entered the vestibule, watched them all fearfully as they entered. Her suit had been able to self-seal and she'd managed to crawl back inside, away from the doorway. She was sitting against the bulkhead, between a bench and a chair, gasping within her helmet, clearly in distress. She raised her hands in surrender when Ebony looked at her. It had cost the lives of two of her people, just for the rest to make it five meters. She almost called Josefina again to demand alternatives, but she held off. Nothing had changed as far as anyone anywhere else in the universe was concerned. Not even for Diamond Hard, 
despite this development. There was a connecting companionway beyond the waiting room, and Drayvon was standing there, watching for hostiles. Anything? she called to her partner, even as she stooped to the fallen team soldier. Not yet, but I've got the willies. What's your call? The gun didn't deploy while there were living crew members out there. It's programmed to be selective, but it sprays like a rip gun. It's imprecise, so it won't fire at all if friendlies are detected. Our orders stand. We need to set those charges. Help me with this. She was unsnapping the team soldier's helmet to hard vacuum. The young woman, though badly wounded, struggled, slapping away armored hands, punching, screaming over the team channel, which Ebony muted. Dre turned his watch over to one of the others and came to hold the woman's flailing, panicked arms. When the helmet hissed free and Evany pulled it off, the girl beneath had her mouth open, lips working, fish-like, eyes going pink and then red as Sclera hemorrhaged. Hold her still. Drayvon bore down on the struggling girl, staying clear of her face. Evany brought up the stubby rifle and ended the young soldier's terror and agony with a mercy tap. There should be ident tags inside the suit, she announced, picking up the helmet again and inspecting its interior. Inside on the crown was a black adhesive circuit patch. She waved over one of her people, the short one with a technical electronics and security system spech. Who was he again? Small scraper, she ordered, avoiding names. She pointed to the tool case at his belt. He nodded and tapped at a single button on the side of the small box, like Morse code. From a slot in the top, his case dispensed the correct tool. It would have been much too small to grasp with heavily gloved fingers. He passed it over, and she went at the helmet patch carefully, so as not to damage it. After a minute or so, the adhesive circuit came free. It was still sticky, and she pressed it to her own helmet just above the visor. It sat there crookedly, like a lopsided target. Ev, Drayvon started to say, uncharacteristic emotion in his voice. She cast him an arched glance and shallow smirk, then stood and walked back into the vestibule. Once again, they had Josefina's passive sensor results scrolling live over the small round table in the common room. The captain pointed to some statistics, highlighting them with a bouncing finger. Transponder says the fighter is called Black Friday. See what it's doing? Ejok nodded and dragged over another list that blurred in the air as it refreshed data from the sensors. That's a methodical sweep pattern of the flare's umbrella. They're staying well out of it themselves, probably so the other ships can keep them covered. They must have noticed it was a dead spot, Evany put in. At this range, could they get a usable radar profile or some other hit if a sweep passes over us? I'd say yes, Captain Hunick measured. That fighter is likely designed for recon as well as combat. It would have high-quality sensors installed. The gunner minimized their many tables of scrolling information and opened up another window. Okay, that's the bad news. Here's the good. Right now, it's like we're in a dark room 
and they're standing in the doorway with a candle trying to peer inside. So long as Black Friday doesn't move from where it is, we can see it better than it can see us, or what we might send at it. Can we take it out? Ebony asked. Possibly, or cripple it anyway. But without a follow-up plan, we may as well be sending the other ships our coordinates. They could launch dozens of Mass Effect weapons, maybe even shatter this planetoid, which would be fatal for us in such a close static orbit. There was a small system map in a box to one side of the hovering display. He brought this over, too, and blew it up with a swipe. The revolving accretion disk around the star was displayed in dim blues, while their moon was in yellow and Josefina in bright blue. A red dot was now uncomfortably close. He gestured to the other two, out near the jump point. They still haven't sent anyone back for help, Ejok observed. Think about that. They're not on the same level as destroyers or carriers, but the Seeker class is specifically designed for search-and-destroy missions like this one. I'm familiar with the type, Ev informed them. Well, then you know that the bridge on Seekers is like a fortress all its own. They don't even evacuate Atmo during a red alert the way the rest of the ship does. Instead, everyone in there suits up, and the oxy-nitrogen Atmo is replaced with Argon. This prevents fires during combat, but still allows them to shout at each other in case of comm failure. That's some clever design work. Seekers have energy weapons, missiles of half a dozen types, and highly trained personnel in every position. Way to inspire, the merc muttered sourly. I'd rather inform, the gunner countered without any hint of offense. We have two of these monsters waiting for us at the jump point, as well as a free jump fighter nearby. Yet somehow, whether they're a green crew or not, we have them all spooked. Now what's the best way to use that? How many more of those secret missiles do you have? Ejok gave Ebony a sidelong glance. Two. They aren't enough to win the day under anything less than perfect circumstances, so if you have an idea that involves them, that's what we need to ensure. The gunships will track and disable any physical ordnance I can send out from this distance. These last two special shots... Ah, he muttered then, apparently making a decision. He brought up a gunnery manifest. Okay, they're ordinary darts, retrofitted with Class A X-ray laser warheads. Tactical, shape-bursting nukes mounted behind a lasing array. In the microseconds after exploding, the array is flooded with high-energy X-rays that get polarized and focused before the lasing system is destroyed by the detonation. This is a powerful attack. It gets projected at whatever coordinates are in the missile's targeting hardware. Those coordinates are updated on the fly from Josefina's sensors right up to activation. You have nuclear bombs loaded inside Civi missiles? She asked incredulously. Yes and no. The system is considered a single unit. The focus structure of the detonation downclasses the thermonuclear component from mass effect status. Technically, it's considered a directed energy weapon. It's very old tech. This design is just streamlined. Nukes in civilian hands are ten kinds of trouble. I can tell you for a fact that there are several not-so-secret military sub-departments that do nothing but hunt down and eradicate ships that have them. 
The gunner shrugged. It's more common than you'd think. And these missiles aren't expressly outlawed. It's a gray area. They're custom pieces, so there isn't any legal language on the books that covers them. And it won't matter when the shooting starts anyway. Ebony nodded. That much was certainly true. How big are they? In size? Like I said, the warheads are inside standard civvy defensive darts. The gunner spread his hands half a meter. About yay long. They're not air-streamed. They don't need to be. They look like narrow boxes, really. Why? You said we need perfect conditions. In this case, that means in a manner they won't see coming. Yes? He was listening, as was the captain, who gestured for her to continue. She worked with a data pad for a bit, ending by tapping its screen to send over a file to the table display. A holographic image of a young man with must hair and sardonic smile appeared before them. This is Freed Kohi, my squad's grenadier. The others considered the image, then looked at her curiously. To Ejok, Ebony asked, These missiles, where exactly do you keep them? Ebony watched the mechanical arm warily but stepped over to the armored door without reservation. The auto gun didn't seem to notice her, though of course it was doing nothing but. It swept the vestibule for enemies, but found only a friendly personnel signature. Place a charge on that robot if it'll let you, Dre advised. It's out of reach, but I'll put one as high as possible and hope for the best. The rest will go around the hatch perimeter and I'll set them off in sequence. She worked as quickly as possible, fumbling small magnetic bombs from their cases. Setting them in place upon the circular iris door, she armed each as she went. Only her breathing was audible. "'How's it going?' her partner asked after thirty seconds. Truly, it had seemed an hour. "'Finishing now?' she announced, placing the last charge on the door. At the same moment, the robot above her head stopped its sweeping motion. The Merc cursed and threw herself to the side just as a flash of light blossomed against the armored hatch right where she'd been standing. The spot glowed cherry red. She was in the open, without cover. The autogun had centered on the movement of the TACOP soldiers as they lumbered in from the outer companionway, but did not attack them. They, too, would have identifying patches... Ebony dropped to the deck as if she'd been hit. Company, she called. A hail of visible tracer rounds and invisible slugs flew from the door of the waiting room. A huge, dark figure in powered armor staggered back from the impact, but did not go down. It, and another just like it coming up, pointed handguns the size of automatic rifles at the side door and turned its frame into flying shards. Ev ordered her suit to activate the first charge. The breacher flashed behind her, and a piece of the autogun bounced off a bulkhead nearby. The iris valve was intact, but the unexpected quality of the explosion made the team giants pause and turn. Ebony, still unmoving on the floor, whispered for the second charge, which garnered another flash. Then the third one, the fourth, the fifth... 
The soldiers now realized that the small charges were ineffective and only localized to the hatch. Once more, they pressed the attack. From her vantage point, Evany witnessed one of the metal-clad monsters stepping up to the side room, this one with a different weapon in hand, something beefier and scary. She kept setting off charges with a slight pause in between until they were all blown. She muttered the command to switch calm to Josefina's channel. It's done! We're pinned and getting squeezed! She hissed. Ejok, do it now! They sat side by side, reading. Text was standing static above the table, and they only advanced the report when Evany was done with the page and nodded to her partner. No commentary. No talking. They'd done this many times before, when there was dense material associated with a job that they both needed to be up on. This report was 18 pages long, all solid paragraphs, and they had to get through it before deciding the next move. At the last page, Dre finished first, as usual, then got up. He left the room without comment, off to the vending machines, or maybe to that automated cafeteria, in search of two cups of cough tea. Another ritual. Evany finished up the report while he was gone, then switched back to the final two forms that required her signature. The paperwork was done when he returned. Procedure was to call for Roa now, the mission's UH handler. They had done what they came here for, yet they weren't done with the job. What do you think we should do? Drayvon asked. It was an essential question, since they were working with new information. Well, it seems off, but I don't know. It's not a double-cross, not here, anyway, in UH offices. Well, we have to watch our backs tomorrow, is the question, he clarified, taking a sip of his beverage. He didn't grimace, but didn't take another. Yes, it is, she agreed. Whole sections of Skigo's report are labeled Data Unavailable. Some of it represents years of time. What's that mean? Secrets he replied with a shake of his head, and lots of them. Scrubbed so clean? We've seen it before, he reminded her. Not like this. He let her sit quietly, without adding anything else. Her eyes were focused on an empty corner of the room. Sip. No movement. Sip. Nothing. Sip. When she drained the last of the infusion, she placed the cup down and took off her left shoe, an open-toed thing, cream-colored, nondescript, not quite fashionable, not quite frumpy. Drayvon nodded and removed the gold chain necklace from around his neck. With a little work, Evany peeled back the sole of her shoe, Beneath it was a sheet of rubber-like material, the same color as the shoe. She laid it flat on the table, smoothing it out, letting it harden in the air. Dre wound the chain around his left hand in a precise manner until it was covered, basket-like. He then attached the jewelry's clasp to itself in another particular way. It stayed in place, even when he opened his hand. 
He shook it in the air for a few seconds, like he'd gotten a shock, then made a fist again. There were two other chairs in the room in addition to theirs. Drayvon leaned across the table through Skigo Bax's hovering report and lightly wrapped his knuckles against the armrest of one of them. Just a touch, really. The chair flew back as if swiped by a bear, flipping up and over, embedding itself into the dark faux wood of the soundproofed softcore wall. It just hung there, sticking out half a meter off the floor. Ebony was blowing on the plastic sheet to hasten its firmness. After a few more seconds, she scraped it from the tabletop with a fingernail. It was hard and inflexible now. There were numerous perforations in the small plastic plate, and she began to break it into pieces, worrying some back and forth until they were free. She pried off pieces very carefully, one after the other, then another and another. When done, there was a small pile of pale plastic shapes on the table in front of her. Drayvon stood near the door, listening and ready. Ebony fit the pieces one to another, like parts in a three-dimensional jigsaw puzzle. The two largest snapped tightly, and several small ones slotted in below these. In a few seconds, she was done. She held a tiny, cream-colored pistol in her hand. Squeezing the grip, several dots glowed dimly along the device's barrel-like length. Three shots, no more. Understood, Drayvon replied, shaking his chained hand again. Call her. Josefina, you are green for that parking vector. Prepare braking thrusters. Do not deviate from this heading or we will use interdictive force. Acknowledge. Black Friday, that is a roger. Maintaining course. Deploying thrusters in one zero seconds mark. This was going over one channel. Over another, Ejok said, Unit 2, ready for heavy Gs. Ready. Heavy G-forces. Roger that, Gunnery. Good luck. Same to you. Go on my call. The primary's muddy illumination leaked through millions of kilometers of dust, gas, and asteroidal material. In the pitch black of Solar Lee, on Josefina's starboard side, and a little to aft, Ebony and her people waited. They were magnetically anchored to the hull right over engineering, where the vessel's reactor was situated, to hide their thermal signatures from team sensors. Captain Hunick kept up the proper chatter to allay the rather considerable fears of the corporate forces. Ebony had that channel open to hear what they were saying, but her mic was keyed to a local one reserved for her squad. Unit 1 was on yet another. Ejok would act as facilitator to avoid breaks in attention or focus. Distraction was the same as death. Black Friday followed behind, a scant 20 kilometers away. Josefina practically had the fighter's guns in its back. Roughly cylindrical, the free jump ship sported external weapon pods and an extensive star jump propagation array fore and aft. It seemed close and mean in the misty vacuum. Bright thruster points along Josefina's hull, mostly toward the bow but a few elsewhere as well, flared up brightly. 
A dozen terra-normal gravities ripped at Evany, though she was snug inside her combat pressure suit. She gritted her teeth for a moment before passing out. It only lasted seconds and was entirely expected. Every member of her squad experienced the same effect. Except perhaps Sindon, who might have had that kind of human frailty processed out of her gene code. They squatted in a long row, backs to the hull, feet pointing down, magnetic soles adhering solidly to metal. It was an awkward position and prone to cramping. They'd been like this for nearly six hours now, but she'd given her people muscleine injections beforehand to keep them limber. This palliative could induce fatigue, and several people had taken advantage of the weight to sleep it off, hanging there in deep space. After the blackout passed, Evany did a roll call. Everyone was up and alert. It wouldn't be long now. Still with us out there, Captain Hunick whispered over their channel. We're ready. Good, Ejok put in grimly. He was sitting in gunnery and had been since this all began. Counting down from 20 seconds. Squad, stand by, she announced. They were hearing this as well and were prepared. Ten seconds. They see him now. Behind, a single missile tube along the free jump's upper hull began firing in very rapid succession. Flash, 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 contrails away. Automatic defense protocols finally in evidence and snapping on when incoming movement was detected. Smoke and gas trails arced back the way Black Friday had just come. A moment later, bursts of defensive flak blossomed like chrysanthemums in open space back there, as the team fighter tried desperately to destroy the swarm of stiletto missiles vectoring in from an orbit near the proto-moon. While they were still undetected, Ejok had dropped the entire 50 count of this missile type into a slow, lazy loop around the rock. Though sensor sweeps would have detected them under normal circumstances, the solar flare made this difficult. And even close-in actives, assuming they worked at all, could only have logged the ordnance as small, iron-rich objects, just like billions of others in this system. Josefina provided the distraction. It was the Pax Quarry, after all, so when Captain Hunick called over an open ship-to-ship -ship channel to surrender, and then brought the ship out of the flare's particulate fan, all sensors upon all three team vessels became fixed upon it. The military ships had the authority to destroy them out of hand, but an offer of total surrender required them to extend more magnanimity than they likely felt. It was a slow, tense trip out to the system edge. Once Josefina was close to the other ships, and Black Friday was in the expected position to cover them from behind, Ejok activated the stilettos, setting them on an attack vector. Their delta V was extreme, and they closed the distance very quickly. There were more flashes of light, and even more silent explosions in the space behind Black Friday, some closer than before. Now! Ejok ordered, and as one, Evany and her people were in motion. Their suits all possessed integrated microthrusters, and they powered slowly through the space between Josefina and the previously damaged ship Deep Pockets, 200 kilometers distant. 
It would take long minutes, and they were horribly exposed, but all eyes would be on the skirmish in back. Both the fighter and Josefina were at an angle such that the gunships could not lend energy weapon support without the risk of collateral damage to either their prisoner ship or their pack member. Instead, they too fired slow, arcing defensive missiles. By now, they'd also be training sensors back along the vector line of the incomings to find their point of origin. There had to be another ship out there, and they were going to find and destroy it. Will the free jump take off? Drayvon asked over a private suit-to-suit channel. Who knows? Don't they need time to calculate a star jump? You'd think they'd be doing that all the time, just in case. It's early days for this tech. Maybe they haven't thought of it yet. I'm floating out here, scared to death, and even I thought of it. She chuckled. He rarely cracked jokes except in stressful situations, which was when they needed them the most. She often wondered if it was a calculated thing. Just then there was another flash, much closer and brighter than any before, and the fighter behind spun about madly, spraying parts and gas and plasma everywhere. It tumbled off obliquely, out of control. A central cubic object shot free of the fighter ship's superstructure as its crew compartment was ejected. We got one through, Sindin shouted enthusiastically. Steady, Evany ordered. Keep focused. A small patch of the black sky ahead went all weird and watery just then as the second gunship, Short Arms, jumped away. Okay, that's two gone, Ejok spoke over the squad's channel. We can assume that last ship went home to get help. Took them long enough. They almost certainly think there's another ship back there, just as we hoped. But now the clock is ticking. Deep Pockets is demanding Hunik explain what's going on. They're threatening to blow us up and all that. Squad two, you have a cloud of hot scrap flying around out there, so easy does it. Cut thrusters, ballistic only... Don't change your vector or correct course until it's time. Understood, Evany expressed. To the squad, she said, Everyone get that? I have it at 11 minutes 15 mark. On my call, we'll break, change our heading, and max out thrusters before deep pockets can do anything about it. We'll be coming at their portside airlock fast and hard. Any questions? Now's the time. There was silence for a bit. Then Drayvon spoke for everyone. We're ready, boss. Squad one! Fire, fire, fire! The gunner cried, then repeated it. The next six seconds were an eternity. Bullets splashed off powered armor like driving rain. Impossible to ignore, impossible to change anything. Dark metal giants approached cautiously, yet openly. With heavy dub gone, there wasn't a weapon here that could even hurt them. Except for physics. Take hold! Ejok cried over their channel. Boots on! Ebony added, just before hell itself reached out its gnarled hand and struck. Like rag dolls, like rattles, they were shaken and flopped about, ligaments pulling, joints straining, the universe blurring away. Pain and complete confusion, accompanying terror. Oh, this was new. In her years as a soldier, first for fleet, 
Then later, for herself, she'd been attacked and injured, preyed upon and left for dead. But this was a flavor of death that had never come around before. Little birds caught in a tumbling storm. It lasted a second and a half. It lasted a lifetime. Power was out in the vestibule, along with the overhead lights. Dim emergency lamps were just coming up, chemiluminescent things that didn't need electricity. The scene about her became discernible. Ebony was on her back, soles of her booted feet still anchored to the deck. She disengaged magnetics and tried to stand up, but couldn't. Squat! Sound off! she grunted. And one by one they did, each one sounding like speech was torture. Drayvon was somehow already on his feet. He was at the hatchway of the waiting room and looked for her in the yellow twilight. She waved and finally stood. Artificial gravity in the vestibule was intermittent. She floated for a moment, drifting a few centimeters before dropping back down to the deck. The TAC Ops personnel were still here, all prostrate or wedged against bulkheads or floating, then falling like herself. None were moving under their own power. There were dents and impact marks all over the overhead and bulkheads of the vestibule, as well as some out in the companionway. These soldiers had been on the move when the attack came. They'd been rattled about like nuts in a can, faster than human cognizance could even register. Possibly they were still alive. Those were very nice suits, but they weren't at all combat ready. For that matter, neither was she. Okay, that's not one to repeat, she muttered over the channel and received several endorsements. Unit 2, what's your status? Captain Hunick demanded, sounding concerned about whatever he had just witnessed. We're still here. Evac now. Launch into the open. Stay close together. And wait for Josefina. We'll be moving as quickly as possible, but you'll still have a bit of a wait. Unit 1 is back in the well, so they're our first stop. Understood. And thank Freed for the save, such as it was. I'm on channel, came a staticky voice after a delay. You're welcome, but Josefina's aim was perfect. One direct hit and one partial, Ejok confirmed. I calibrated the laser strikes, but Freed's timing was exact. Both missiles had flawless launches from the moon's surface. Took some fiddling with my shoulder launch adapter, Freed Kohi laughed. I really didn't think it was going to work. It was Unit 2's party, Ejok stated with mirth of his own. The bridge crew would have been hiding behind consoles and desks with their sidearms out, waiting for bloodthirsty mercs to break through with their breaching charges. If they'd been sitting at their posts, deep pockets could have detected the X-ray darts launching and managed some preemptive DEW strikes. Enough chatter, the captain intoned sternly. Silence on channels unless there's a problem. Unit 2, be in the open, close together, with beacons going. We'll pick you up on the climb back out. This needs to happen without delay. Team reinforcements will be assembling right now. Josefina cannot be here when they arrive. Acknowledged, she breathed. Squad, prepare to move. She bounced, tripped, 
and walked among her people as gravity continued to fluctuate, getting them upright and ready to leave the wreck behind. Drayvon was inspecting the armored iris valve of the bridge. It was distended outward, and several of its interlaced leaves now sported jagged cracks. Calamite was a true supermaterial, capable of enduring incredible stresses. Ejok's laser strikes, while not in the same class as military weapons of a similar design, had been enough to jab a hole through the gunship's reinforced shell, a hole he'd placed directly over its bridge. Effectively, it had been a headshot from thousands of kilometers away. Without active sensor data of Josefina's star jump exit, extrapolating a heading would be impossible for follow-up forces. All of this, all this danger and death, just to distract some console jockeys for a few seconds. Evany looked at her people. They were hurt, but they were moving, gathering up their wounded and fallen. They were prepared to fight, weapons ready, men and women ready. Squad, move out. Eyes open for last-minute corporate heroes. We're not home yet. Roa knocked, then entered, smiling her professional smile. All set? The system shows green on our end. All the forms completed, so we can finish up now if you'd like. This last stage of the process was when money changed hands, or occasionally other things. The UH handler crossed to the table and keyed in her code on the IDENT interface. She turned to Ebony and gestured invitingly. The Merc held the small hard case at her side. Drayvon stood near the door, his chained hand down at his own side, looking casual but ready. We've been talking it over, Ebony announced without moving. We're only prepared to deliver this package to a direct representative of two saints, not to an intermediary. That wasn't specified in the contract, Roa stated, looking confused. Do you wish to renegotiate the terms? No, but the conditions of the mission were such that we feel the agreed-upon level of security is inadequate. This isn't about money, Roa, but it is non-negotiable. I see, she replied, but clearly did not. Well... Let me pass this along. One moment. The small, uniformly tan woman stepped to one side and muttered quietly over a hidden or bio-implanted communication device. It went on for about a minute, perhaps longer. Then she turned back and addressed them. You are equal partners, correct? May I have verbal confirmation that you both insist on this detail? Yes, we do, Drayvon stated. His hand flexed, but not energetically. You have it, Evany confirmed. Roa nodded and returned to her mumbling. Another minute passed. Then she closed the call. Sorry, most of that was my supervisor, she said without pause. I had to be sure I was following protocol. A two saints rep is currently on premises and will be with you in a moment. She smiled again. Thank you, Ebony responded, 
yet she didn't relax. The minutes that followed were awkward, filled with stunted, time-filling conversation about local restaurants. Roa knew of one that offered cuisine from a dozen different parts of space. It sounded expensive. There was a knock, and Drayvon opened the door. Ejok walked in, wearing a flight suit identical to the ones from Josefina. He looked the same as always. Ebony regarded him with a hand in her pocket. We've seen the incorporation records for two saints. It was a statement. You work for them. I am them. It's my company, such as it is. Founder, CEO, and janitor. Why the secrecy? I wanted hands-on to see that the job got done, the older man replied simply, and without any embarrassment. But who likes to have the boss hovering over their shoulder? You didn't know, so you didn't care. That's pretty thin, Dre observed, hand flexing slowly, mechanically. Could I speak to my contractors privately for a moment? Ejok asked Roa, though he was looking at the floor. Of course, I'll be right outside. Drayvon held the door for her, smiling tightly, then closed it again. I assume you know what that is? The gunner asked, gesturing to the hard case. Yes, Evany answered. How many people died for you to get your hands on some free jump technology? Do you even know? Because I don't. No one died for it, he replied sharply, dark eyes sparkling. People died who were trying to kill us. That's a rationalization, she dismissed with sudden distaste, as if there was a bad smell in the room. She was upset. After all this time... And all the missions, this chubby old man's eminent practicality was downright disturbing. Life is nothing but rationalization, he countered. And if you disagree, then that's one of yours. She had no reply ready. Across the small room, Dre was watching closely, waiting for her signal. His hand was restless. It's pretty hot property, she said nodding to the case. The gunner shrugged. Yep, but it's not for sale. Not by me. If you're looking for a cut, there won't be one. What then? Drayvon questioned flatly. Is Two Saints diversifying? Going into manufacturing? <laughs> that wouldn't float, Ejok observed with an amused snort. Military tech illegally obtained? I'd be in cuffs before the factory lights were turned on. If you want this deal to finalize, we need answers, Ebony stated, face set. Her hand was still in that pocket, and he seemed to have noticed. He glanced at Drayvon, who kept his golden hand in slow but steady motion. There's a ship, he told them. Yes, we saw that in our research. Orphan Rose, registered to your company. A decommissioned cargo frame carrier. It's being restored. Modernized. On the inside, anyway. Outwardly, it'll still show its age. My business plan focuses on... unique services. 
You're having a free jump engine built that's large enough for a frame holder? Drayvon demanded incredulously. And as a one-off? Where's the profit in that? You can't even use such a thing without everyone knowing about it. That depends on how it's used. You wanted answers? That was an answer. You want more? Give me one. If two saints were to offer Diamond Hard a long-term contract, would you be interested? Doing what? Ebony queried, confused. That was not where she thought this conversation would go. Call it security. I'll be applying to the Route Management Authority to obtain secure merchant status for Orphan Rose. Guaranteed, fully insured, high-value transport services for passengers and cargo. That kind of work needs good people, but I want the best. Flattery is unseemly, Ejok. So is indecision. If you've changed your mind about this delivery, then I'll be on my way. And good luck with trying to peddle that data. Every spy in outer space is waiting for someone to try. You can construct free jump tech from scratch without all those spies finding out? With what's on that data block, yes, I think so, he pronounced. A well-equipped, highly skilled, and discreet group of star jump engineers could put one together entirely on the down low. They could then install it in an obsolete cargo ship, one that's incapable of drawing suspicion even if it tried. I happen to know such a group and own such a ship. Will you work with me or not? The old man seemed crafty suddenly and very capable. He looked entirely the same and completely different. Ejok would have nothing to gain by lying to them at this point. Unless, of course, he would, and it was just another ploy. The two mercs watched him. He did nothing but wait. The moment held. Seconds only, but they were endless. Ebony brought her hand from her pocket, empty of any plastic. Drayvon, brows knit tightly, stopped moving his. She looked at him, and he looked at her. They didn't speak. They didn't have to. Dre smirked, then opened the door, waving for Roa to rejoin them. One deal at a time, Ebony told the gunner, handing him the hard case. You have been listening to Hunter's Moon, written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can contact me at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. You can also check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com and sign up for my newsletter. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called i by Trunks and can be found on soundcloud.com. This audio story also contained the following music. 
The Missing Star by Itch One. That's I-C-H, the number one. Night Rain by Airtone. And Orc March featuring Snowflake, Wolf Sebastian, and Spinning Merkaba by Basematic. And all of those can be found on dig.ccmixter.org. Hunter's Moon is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person, living or dead, nor any particular place or situation. This story is copyright 2017 by the author and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Thank you for listening. Take care.